It's time to go behind the connection and find out what's happening behind the scenes here at LCC Connect. When we created this podcast platform in 2022, it was our intention to create something that connects our college with the community and the community with our college. Since then, we have grown to include over 20 podcasts. They're focused on a wide range of topics. All of these podcasts are either fronted by members of the Lansing Community College or activists within the mid-Michigan community. And today on Behind the Connection, we welcome a new program that isn't just fronted by one person, but it's actually done by a team of four. They spend most of their time here at LCC as a part of our library staff. And the program is called Written in the Stars, Books and Beyond. It is going to premiere on LCC Connect next Saturday, November 11th. And to tell us a little bit about what we can expect from Written in the Stars, joining me in the studio, it's 50% of the hosting team. We've got Amy Ewald. Hello. And Abby, I'm going to do it, Thibault. <laughs> Hi. So when we got this started, they were having a hard time pronouncing your last name, Abby. Mm-hmm. Is it French? It's a derivative of a French name, but it's just a lot of vowels, so yeah. people are confused. Kind of confused people? Yes. Yeah. So I started I started doing the Thibault just to try to get everybody on the same page, and it seemed to kind of work, I think, <laughs> didn't it? It did. Mm-hmm. Oh, every time I think of your name or I see it, I think... I, that's what happens in my head. Tebow. See? No, either either I gave you some sort of thing that you're going to walk away for the rest of your life going, man, I wish he had not done that. Or you're going to go, yeah. And I say you own it. Just be Tebow. <laughs> anyway, you guys came in to talk a little bit about uh, Written in the Stars, of course. But here at the library, I don't even know what you guys do. So explain it to me. Uh, Abby, what do you do at the library? I am the communication specialist, which is a bit of a hodgepodge job. I do... Um, our internal communication between staff and external communication to students and other staff outside of the library. I do our signage. I'm kind of in charge of what the library looks like, the decor to some extent. And gosh, what else do I do? I do some of our social media and I go to a lot of meetings. When you guys got the, uh, the the avatar for the show designed, you didn't end up doing it or did you end up doing it? No, I had marketing do it. Okay, um, marketing here at uh, mm-hmm, the college. Mm-hmm. Okay, very good. But you kind of do that sort of stuff, right? Some yeah, graphic I do some design of that stuff, stuff in there. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. Okay. I make a lot of signs, and we have all sorts of things that we need designed. We do displays that I make the signage for. Um, we have monthly displays. Um, what else do I make signs for? A lot of things. <laughs> yeah, a lot, a of, lot things. of things. Now, Amy and I actually do some uh, bowling together. We are. We actually, uh, prior, prior to this recording, we did that last night. We did. Go team. And uh, it, we were actually playing against. Now, did, did <laughs> it did, even yeah. occur to you that we were going to be talking today? Uh, briefly. I was more into the game, though. I know. <laughs> you I you had on. one killer strike at one point. I was, I, I, I was I awesome did. to see that happen. It was a, it was a rough night, though. Yeah. Okay. A little, it got a little bit better. I, I actually purchased a, a new bowling ball, yeah. and last night was the first time that I and tried that, it. And that out. is why I wanted to bring that up, because yeah. that is the prettiest bowling ball I have ever seen. <laughs> Thank you. It's Thank all you. this nice, pretty pink it and is. blue. It's, is it blue? It's got some blue yeah, on there. Yeah. It's, it's this pretty pink and blue color, and yeah. yeah. I, I went with a theme, because I bought some like pink and black shoes, and uh, black and pink uh, bowling bags. So very cool. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Let's let's get back to what we're supposed to be doing. Uh, tell me a little bit about what you do at the uh, at the library because I don't even know what you do, and I've yeah. known you for a little while now. Yeah. It, well, it's funny because even like my close friends and that they're like, I don't really know what you do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They. I think there's always a misconception that uh, oh, you work in a library, so you just either read books all day or <laughs> or, or you shelve books all day. And I I think 
when I actually do get to do those like shelving books or collection development, do that's, it. that's a pretty small part of what I do. So, but you're like, here I am, I'm doing it. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm like, that's like a fun day for me. I'm like, yes, I get to do this. But, um, daily I do a lot of, I actually do a lot of working with students. I do a lot of teaching in the classroom. Uh-huh. So I'm the information literacy librarian. So, okay. so I, I work with classrooms and faculty members who want to bring their classes in and, receive instruction on how to do research, library tools and research skills and things like that. Is this something that you would see at most colleges or universities? Yeah. Most colleges, universities have some type of library instruction program. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. And probably if if you've gone to college or university, you've probably made a trip to the library with one of your classes. Um, And that's kind of where I would come in and help you help help students work with students one-on-one a lot help, help you help yourself yeah that's yeah. right and, and that is actually one of our our philosophies and goals is that we we want to teach you so that you can do it yourself <laughs> all right you, you got a lot to work with when it comes yeah. to me so well. <laughs> i'm just saying all right who are the other two that are uh, a part of the show and are not with us in the studio today yeah, so we have um, John Salaiji. He is our library director, mm-hmm. um, and he's he's actually been part of the library for gosh, I've been here about eleven years. I think he's been here about nine or ten too. Um, and then we have Robin Moore and Abby. I'm not sure of Robin's exact title. Do you know? Oh gosh, you know it just changed. Um, she does quite a bit of our operational stuff, and she works with our student workers. Um, She does a lot of really important work with our textbooks, which is a big thing. Um, Yeah, she did get a new title, which I don't remember. But Robin's been here for... She's over been 20 years. She's been here yeah, quite a while. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, the, the, the radio station's always been located here in the TLC. Library, of course, is on the second floor. They decided to hide us away in the basement, but I remember seeing Robin several times over the years and talking to her several times. She's always been a lovely personality and a great person to know. And it is great that you guys have actually gotten on board to do this because I was very excited. So what is the show about and what makes it different from a typical podcast that's focused on books? Because there's a lot of those types of podcasts out there, isn't there? Yeah, I think uh, ours is ours is a little bit. We just want to make a connection to books or, or, or the written word in some way. But we also want to feature uh, local businesses that might be involved in with books in some way, bookstore, bookstore owners, Um we're going to have an episode coming up about journaling and, you know, kind of setting intentions and, and resolutions. So it's going a little bit beyond just a typical read the book and have a discussion about it. So we hope to incorporate some more things um, just about writing, about our community and highlighting some of the voices um, within LCC and within the Lansing area, too. It makes a lot of sense, and it does sound like a lot different, especially with the local aspect. You are talking about something that is quite a bit different than you would find on a national level anyway. But if you had, like, uh, uh, let's say Stephen King said, hey, I wouldn't mind being on Written in the Stars, would you be accepting to having that man on your show? Of course. He's welcome anytime. (laughs) Yeah. And, I mean, we will have um, some, we do have some episodes that will be talking with a specific author and about the book and their their work. Um, And then other times we'll talk more um, with, with like, a local business owner or more of a topic, um, textbooks. I know we're going to tackle that at one point, too, so... Very That's cool. A different and, stuff. and I mean, as far as authors go, you've you've probably already got some people in mind, right? 
We've already recorded a few. Um, we just had a good one with Dr. Wimbish, our former provost, um, who's a very engaging speaker. Yeah. So that's going to be a good episode. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some other authors that we have? Uh, we have we have an author coming up, Susan Serafin. She's a retired LCC faculty member. And she was a part of one of our other shows, yeah, too. Yeah, and she, she does a show here at LCC Connect, or used to. Washington Square on air, yep. Yep, and uh, actually we have a, the, another host from that show as well. She'll be joining us, hopefully... Uh, uh, in February, Melissa. Yeah, Melissa, Melissa Ford Luckin. Okay, yep. so we'll we'll host them. Uh, we have another episode coming up with a local business owner. I'm dropping her name right now. Michelle. Michelle. Thank you. Yeah. You so. know, library people usually write down stuff a lot. <laughs> I, I'm not seeing that right here today. <laughs> I well. Yeah, I'm uh, just I'm just messing <laughs> with you. It's all good. Um, okay, so what makes this important to the Mid Michigan community? Yeah, I think just to highlight the great talent that we have and the the diverse talent that we have here at within LCC and then, of course, the Lansing community, there's a lot of good stuff that happens here. So it's going to be nice to shine a light to that. Yeah, I think we wanted to highlight that Lansing is, you know, a university town. So a lot of the focus gets pulled that way, but there's a lot more going on and there's a lot of people outside of that world creating art and I hate to say content, but... <laughs> <laughs> making things, um, you know, that we can engage with and talk about. Very cool. I want to know, you know, I mean, we've kind of covered a lot of this stuff. First first of all, you, I believe, Abby, you already mentioned uh, the episode with Dr. Wimbish. That one's already been recorded. That is going to be the premiere episode that's going to be on here. And I can tell you, I was sitting in on uh, that conversation, of course, because I was producing the show, and it was an absolutely fabulous conversation. It was words of wisdom from beginning to end. She is a dynamic speaker. She is very engaging, and she is just great to listen to. Uh, that, of course, was uh, hosted by uh, John and Robin, yeah. the two folks that are not yeah. with us here in the studio today. But uh, that's going to be premiering November 11th, and it's a Saturday. I do have to ask, though, as fans of books, because I have heard this debate, Rage, traditional book read or an electronic one, which one and why? I'm a physical book person. Well, yeah. How come? Just hurts my eyes to look at a screen. <laughs> screen. Yeah, we spend a lot of time on screens. Everybody does know. anymore. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of nice, I think, sometimes to pick up the physical book and, and read it that way. Mm-hmm. And it is a lot less eye strain as well. I agree. I agree. Yeah. yeah. I, I like the tactile. Uh, t- is it tactile or tactile? Yeah. The, the feel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? I, I'm not sure I'm saying the right. I think it's tactile. Yeah. yeah, the feel of it. I, I like turning the page, hearing the page. And really, one of the things I do like about libraries is when you've got that book smell. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. All right, about, so I'm yeah. not crazy here on this one? No, there's there's a lot of people that sort of enjoy that enjoy that smell, yeah. that, that feeling of turning the page and picking it up. So, Well, Written in the Stars is what it's called. Like I said, it'll be airing on Saturday, November 11th. I am so glad you guys got on board to do this show, and I appreciate having you guys on board to be a part of LCC Connect, so thank you for that. This very last question I've got for you, this is the rando question of the day. I can't tell you what it is because I don't know. I am going to click the random question generator, and whatever it is, you will be asked. Are you ready? All right, let's do it. What's something you wish you'd figured out sooner? Who wants to start that one off, Amy or Abby? Something I wish I'd figured out sooner. You know, I think some of this comes as you get a little bit older, too, but, you know, don't sweat the small stuff. <laughs> Don't sweat the small stuff. Yeah, you know that sometimes I I think especially as you're younger, you know, uh, it just 
kind of becomes such a big thing. And you, even if it's a small thing, you make a big deal out of mm-hmm. it. Um, but I think as you get older, you start to uh, maybe it just rolls off your back a little bit easier. I, I don't, to, I don't want to pirate your uh, thought here because I completely agree <laughs> with you, but I will even tell you, don't sweat the big stuff either. I, this is true too. I'm, that's, and I'm that's still the thing learning that lesson, mm-hmm. but um, and it, it's still yeah. hard and it's always hard to keep in mind, Yep. but there are big things that you think are big. And then you find out later in life that, that wasn't really that big of a deal. Yep. Or kind of reminding yourself too that like, even if it is a big thing, it's going to pass. Exactly. That, you know, in, in a year from now, you're going to be like, whoa, that, that was rough, but you got through it. And I believe the phrase is this too shall pass, this right? This too <laughs> shall pass. Yeah. Tebow, what you got? <laughs> um, I feel like mine's kind of related to, um, oh wait, I just lost it. <laughs> <laughs> it was similar. Um, Write stuff down so that you can remember know, what it was yeah, going to be. Uh, I don't know. I'm drawing a blank. Well, I'll tell you what. You think about it. You let me know. <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks, guys, for coming in. Thank you for having us. Written in the Stars, Books and Beyond is the name of the program that is going to be airing here on LCC Connect next Saturday, November the 11th. You want to find out more about it? Stop by our website. It is lccconnect.org. So what did you think of? That I can only control my own actions. Oh. I wish I'd known that a lot sooner. Yeah. Yeah. That is a good one. That is a good one. Way to go, (laughs) Tebow! This is LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Coming in November to the Lansing Community College Black Box Theater, playwright Kate Hamill's playful new adaptation of Jane Austen's beloved novel, Sense and Sensibility. It follows the fortunes and misfortunes of the Dashwood sisters after their father's sudden death leaves them financially destitute and socially vulnerable. Showing November 10th through the 19th. For more information, visit lcc.edu slash show info. What is dedication? My biggest fear in the middle of my addiction was that my kids wouldn't have a father. And I started thinking, you know what? This isn't my story. I definitely had to become a better man to be a better father. It's important to me that my kids are empowered and truly believe that if if they can think it, they can do it. That's dedication. Visit fatherhood.gov to hear more. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Lansing Community College's Fresh Start program forgives outstanding student balances allowing students to re-enroll without penalty. Fresh Start does not apply to student loan creditors. Learn more at lcc.edu slash fresh start. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. It's time for Stars on Sports. A podcast radio show dedicated to sharing stories about our athletic program at Lansing Community College. LCC Athletics has a strong tradition. 23 national championship wins. Over 170 All-Americans. 19 MCCAA All-Sports trophies. Stars on Sports will introduce you to individuals that have contributed to our program's success and give you the backstory on what it takes to develop it. We'll also dive into and break down the topics and issues facing athletic departments across the nation and right here at LCC. This is Stars on Sports.
Hello, and welcome to another episode of Stars on Sports. I am joined by our assistant AD and baseball coach, Stephen Cutter. And today's plan, Stephen, is to talk a little bit about name, image, and likeness, NIL, which has been a, a hot topic recently in, in college athletics. That doesn't mean we won't go off on a tangent as in the past. As there's a lot of good topics going on, and we've had some of those in our office this morning. But um, just saw an article just recently, and actually just got an email today from our our national association about an upcoming seminar on nil mm -hmm. for the njca and i've participated in a, mm -hmm. a handful over the last year in the different platforms that offer services and very interesting um can be very polarizing topic it can be um, a topic that not a lot of people know the 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 specifics about state laws dictate some of the topics it's you know different level dictate where this discussion could go, you know, comparably to, you know, the highest level of division one NCAA all the way down to, to high school. And I've done my share of research on this as I go and talk to different groups throughout our community. And I all seem to be a topic they, that I try and touch on. Um, but not something we've really dived into here at LCC not familiar with many programs in the, in our state of Michigan that have mm -hmm. dived into the, the NIL at the NJCA level. Is that something you think that Lansing may end up doing at some point? Well, I think again, when, when the business of, of us is to do what's best for student athletes and, you know, recruiting is so important, it could be an advantage to us. So I am definitely paying attention to it. I have met the NJCA has a platform that they have de you know, developed a corporate partnership with, and I've met with that individual a couple times. They offer a kind of a free service that you can go on their website and they have a platform. I was on there the other day, and three, it looks like three colleges have their their schools up there, but a lot of individuals have their their own page up there. But yeah, definitely. So I was against it at first, to be honest, when it first came out a couple of years ago, I was more a believer of, of true amateurism and, and, you know, scholarships were kind of your payment to be a college student athlete, but I have adapted that philosophy. And I don't think there's enough parameters in place at some of the highest levels that it's a, a, a fair playing field. But I, I do think that there is some some positive things that come from it that will benefit student athletes. And, you know, most of the conversation is about these student athletes that are making, you know, I think I saw the, the highest student athlete at the highest level is like $3 million a year, a, yes. a football player right. at one of the largest institutions yep. and the, the largest female um deal is i think uh, a million or two um it's and, and fundamentally then, changed recruiting at those levels as well it has and there's there's been different philosophies some schools have aggressively pursued it and have lured players to come there with nil and others that more once you get on campus we'll talk nil money and i've seen you know you know, there was one school that a contract was canceled because they couldn't come up with the money with a recruit, and that mm -hmm. recruit ended up going somewhere else. And mm -hmm. you were talking right. within a couple million dollars of right. uh, deals. So because these are all private funded, correct? that is correct. The school shouldn't have anything to do with it. And you know, there's these things called collectives out there, which are um, donors, or they can't be boosters, but they technically are. You know people, alumni of those colleges that have money that put a group together and like come up with programs for student athletes. And it can be by sport. I mean, they even have broken it down. Like 
the guard in basketball has gets better deal than the center does the QB in mm-hmm. football. I'm um, probably the pitcher in baseball. Don't you kind of feel like it's it's not really that much different than when when sports have boosters that support certain programs, you know, whatever sports program it is, they're putting money to to help that program. Now they're just putting money into the student athletes to help that program as well because they're getting the the kids to come there for those deals. Well, again, with, with the right parameters in place, I, I think it can be beneficial, but I think there's some issues with, you know, the haves and the have nots. Um, mm-hmm. There could be locker room issues. There could be, it could create uh, culture issues. Um, but yeah, I, I think it, it you know, there, there's always been the allegation that students were getting paid before this came into place. So this probably mm-hmm. helps make like, it more legal or more fair and more um, on the up and up. I'm not completely sure what it looks like at our level, at the NJCAA level, but I do know that you're always going to have that in locker rooms and you just have to be able to manage it. You're going to have players that are getting significantly more scholarship money than, and than somebody else. And you're still, that's still those same parameters where it's, there's a difference between the haves and the have nots, but they're all treated equally and you pull them together into a very unique environment. So whether it's NIL money or scholarships it's really the same only the nil money is significantly more than most college scholarships yeah i i agree that's a good point that it is you could treat it as similar and probably the good coaches do back to getting everyone on the bus but still is another issue for coaches to manage that could create some tension mm-hmm. and you could lose some of your depth if you know, and I know some schools that have that they've gone somewhere, they've transferred somewhere else because they can mm-hmm. get more money or they might be a starter in another place, which gives them the potential to to earn more money. The The other intriguing piece to this about earning more money is social media. If you have a strong social media following, it significantly increases your deal potential. It's crazy. I mean, the the numbers out there and the influence that social media has but back to our level you know when meeting with this platform it was pretty interesting some of the statistic that they shared with me that the media focuses on those million dollar deals but one of the positives that come from this the the average deal for some of the smaller levels is two hundred dollars a deal but even in our level a meal you know if you you go on and promote a certain local restaurant and they give you a, a, a meal for, you know, you promoting them, you know, that goes a long way for, for our kids and our, and our, and how important meals are for, to our student athletes. It just, you just got to follow those parameters. And, and the main focus is promoting a commercial product, you know, using your name that is not in contradiction to the, the institution. So, yeah, I think, you know, if you look yes. at the, the ground roots and, and all those potential, Obviously, it's managing it, and again, they have, you have to you can pay thousands of dollars for these platforms to help you right. um, do that, which seems, that's the hard thing to come up with. Seems like it, it would be, still be a lot to manage either way, because it, maybe you have somebody that's willing to give you a deal, but it's in direct competition to maybe a large donor to the college or to the athletic department or something like that. So you're, it seems like you would run into a lot of things where you're constantly managing it. I'm not saying that it's a bad thing, but it's, no. And that's where the, I mean, these platforms are, are growing exponentially. There's probably, I mean, there used to be one or two platforms that would help schools navigate through this process. Now there's probably half a dozen yeah. to a dozen platforms and, and you pay them money to help, 
determine all those factors and, and what parameter to work within. And again, that's a, a significant amount of investment there, but it, it's almost like hiring staff to, to do it for you. But yeah, and that's the probably the finest line to navigate is staying in, in alignment with your inter, institutional values and, and what you stand for and what you want to um, gain from this. And it's been a struggle at all levels, even us, to make that decision to jump in. I mean, once you jump in, you, there's no turning back that doing it the right way or making sure you have your pieces in place are important. And some schools just jumped in and now they're reacting and other schools got penalized for not having a plan. And it's just the beginning of it. I mean, this is, it's here to stay. Mm-hmm. Um, it's at the high school level. I was looking at, you know, at, in Michigan, I don't believe it's, it's a law yet that our high school student athletes can do NIL, but more and more states, and I think it's coming. And, you know, there's high school students making, I saw upward the $800,000 right. um, with NIL deals. And some of it is influential we by the college that they might be recruited by. We were born in the wrong year. Well, I don't know if I had the talent or the the, the social media following to to get the you, biggest you deal, but know. definitely you probably would have been inspired if this was in place. So true, yeah, yeah. definitely. You're going to do a little more practice, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> throw, throw That'll hoops. be interesting if it does, you know, motivate certain people. And and the other interesting part of this is like who they are, and you know, the the the, the some of the biggest deals are people that already you know have that advantage, you know, like LeBron James's sons are two of the highest, you know, people and good for them. They're making a million dollars, but they come from a family that mm-hmm. already had that, that kind of money, but it's definitely paying off on, I think the other end of mm-hmm. the, the spectrum too, for those that this is really a good source of income for them and their family and, you know, to make a, a positive point, but definitely something we will need to follow. Have you heard any, you know, are you aware of, you know, any of our opponents or anyone that you? Not really. It's, it's still pretty new at the junior college level, but you know, there's another side to it too. If you don't perform or you don't do well, you, you can see the money get stripped away, you know, so it's not, it's not necessarily guaranteed and somebody can come in and give you whether it's $200 or whatever else, but then, it, it can also get taken away for performance-based or, you know, actions-based. Yeah. yeah. Um, a, a local college just had their deal um, expired in the middle of the season just this last weekend because of the turmoil in yeah. that program. And they came in and cut it, except for, I mean, they didn't cut it completely, but significantly. Yeah. Um, so the economy could mm-hmm. play into it. Location oh. is, a, is an important factor to, to many everything. things in life. Every, everything, yeah. And, and that's where I think for, at the junior college level, we could have an advantage. As, you know, I think there's potential in our area for local businesses that support educational athletics, larger businesses that could, you know, also mm-hmm. jump in and do that. So I think you know, we have the potential to do it. I'm, tr- I'm one that's treading slowly, which is kind of what I do anyway, to learn and, and see yep. funny guy over mm-hmm. there. <laughs> but that's why I need my accountability yeah. apartment the partner over there to, to move me along. If it's something we need to move a little faster on, but I do believe I've met with the platform more mm-hmm. than any of my colleagues, mm-hmm. because I, I also right. hope to be forward thinking and thinking that this yeah. could be a positive thing for us, for our student athletes and our are recruiting, but I still think it's a, a little bit away at, at our level and would need help. And, you know, looking at these platforms and, you know, finding the money to, to invest in these platforms too. But 
you know, amateurism is, is, is a, a big deal to me. Um, you know, different parameters in place of what it is to be an amateur. I still believe we mm-hmm. are, you know, amateurs that, mm-hmm. you know, participate at our level in educational athletic, but that's getting blurred more and more. And I get my share of questions um, from coaches regarding, you know, the definition of being an amateur student athlete and what they can and can't accept um, as a student athlete, the NJCAA is my understanding at the three hundred and fifty dollar mm-hmm. threshold. When I was at the high school level, when I started, it was twenty five dollars, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then it went to forty dollars. I think they might have just upped it again, and that's more like if you it's a like a an, a an achievement award. Like if you won a race or something, you're you're for being an athlete, you can't earn more than that particular so sum for of like money. a trophy or right. whatever yep. it might be. Injury fee. Okay. And again, twenty five and forty dollars is really tough nowadays. Mm-hmm. Three hundred and fifty, sure. I think that's a nice um range of, you know, maybe helping a student athlete in a in a sport that they participate in. Obviously in, in a different sport they can, you know Do you think that number would need to go up if NILs become more prominent at the junior college level. I don't think so because again, it, it, back to keeping it separate, the NIL should be not based on your your performance of you at the institution. It's more on your name, image, or likenesses, mm-hmm. which is your own personal gain. Obviously, you know the better you perform or um, the better your school does. I mean, I look at women's basketball at the college level. You know, LSU has three or four of the top student athletes now, and they won the national championship last year, just which increased their yeah. their brand yeah. and their and their notoriety. Winning but, does that. Yeah. But back to to your question, that is earning for your performance, and we could all argue that it could go up. You know, is three hundred fifty or twenty five forty dollars mm-hmm. high school enough? If you know, is a thousand dollars wrong for a kid to earn for their performance? But if NIL had done right, that would be separate and mm-hmm. more not performance based, but um, mm-hmm. you know, personal Individual, based. Yeah. yeah. And and to Dalian's point, a good question, which you know, you know, Coach Cutter and I were talking about this morning is, is performance and consistency and and days off. And it would be interesting to see how much you know motivation because there's two sides of this. One is your performance on the field, and two is your you know your following. You you need to have a following for people to yes. to be able to promote your likeness. So they don't always go hand in hand. I mean, do you want to you know? It was crazy. They just came out recently an article like the, the highest paid influencers in the world, and like this YouTube person makes like eighty million dollars a year just doing videos on kids' toys, I think, or something, and mm-hmm. how it goes down to you know the top fifty. They're all over three million dollars a year. Mm-hmm. So you might not even have to be a good student athlete, but but if you find ways to have a good social media following that mm-hmm. you can gain, you can earn money off of that. And I think a lot of that appeals to a lot of our students nowadays of, you know, as much as they're on social media that they'd almost like put more effort into that than trying to be a stronger athlete. And again, if you do both, I think the potential is significantly. So, so based on that concept, somebody could be like a completely terrible player mm-hmm. and just have an outstanding social media presence, never even play in a game because they're so bad yeah, yeah. and get paid lots of cash. Yeah. And you had a baseball player a couple of years ago that we thought would be a good NIL person that wasn't our strongest player, mm-hmm. but just had a great social media following, mm-hmm. whether it's your personality, whether it's, you know, making the most of what you have, you could be mm-hmm. a goofy or, you know, you know, show how, you know, bloopers videos, how popular 
Those are so. You, ex, I believe that's exactly right. I haven't. I don't have any specific examples of you know bad players having high nil money. But I, I again, from everything I've read, your social media following is huge on, on the potential mm-hmm. for your deals. Do you think there's a benefit to that for a team or a athletic department to have that type yes. of player? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I coached a kid a few years ago that's at a that was at a power five on the west coast and he didn't play very much very good player but just wasn't quite good enough to play on that team didn't play very much and has an enormous social media following and would be um, following you know showing stuff with the team in the locker room the rides the jerseys they're wearing that day and different things and almost just, like playing a pr person yeah yeah 100 yeah, yeah. and his his social media is incredible So, um, and it didn't come anywhere near to where his playing career was, you know? (laughs) And it is beneficial. I mean, on our way over, we're talking about just telling our story and how important branding is to our department. Mm -hmm. And part of it is having that consistent message Mm -hmm. out there to to increase that following, whether it's your star player or someone that just has a great following. They both can be very beneficial to your NIL deal. So yeah, mm-hmm. I think I think regardless of the talent level, some of these colleges at the higher level are using NIL as their main recruiting base. That right. they have high deals and you know, obviously kids want to to go where they can earn some money. Even local colleges, you know, have kept kids from going to pro with one more year deals mm-hmm. where they've kept them another year where they make get more, more money yeah, than what than they would have got would at the pro the, level. That's well, that's why I think Tadalian's gotta get this going for the podcast too. We gotta get some <laughs> NIL money for podcasts. Yeah. I'm working on my own there's <laughs> cut. <laughs> See, there's back to our me our locker room yeah. issue. The, yeah. Working yeah. on our own yeah. instead Mr. of working as a Mr. team. Mr. <laughs> Mr. Selfish. That's right. That's the way I play. <laughs> So, but uh, that's funny here, and it's so true of what locker rooms are dealing with on a, on a on a bigger scale now, all the way down from the high school level all the way up to the to the highest level. And you know, it'll you know when we have this podcast in a couple of years, it'll be interesting to see how much it's changed or not changed because of where NIL deals and the, the NCAA is under a lot of pressure to put some parameters in place. But I'm not sure, you know how much they can reel in at this time or, you know, what's all on the up and up with Good it. Luck. But, but yeah, we will work on it ourselves here on stars on sports and, you know, start developing our own NIL deals. So <laughs> keep the Dalian happy and make sure we stay on the air. But as always a, a good conversation and until next time, go stars. Stars on Sports is recorded live at the WLNZ Studios. Engineering and production assistance are provided by Didalian Lowry. You can listen to this episode and other episodes of Stars on Sports on demand at lccconnect.org. To find more information about our athletic program, visit lccstars.com. Thanks for listening. Go Stars! with LCC Connect at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision.
K-12 Operations at Lansing Community College is a proud collaborator of the Lansing Promise Scholarship available to graduating high school seniors. Find information at lcc.edu slash hope. If you or someone you know lives with epilepsy, be aware of an uncommon but fatal complication called sudden unexpected death in epilepsy, also known as SUDEP. The American Academy of Neurology and the American Epilepsy Society have released a new medical guideline to help patients, families, and caregivers better understand SUDEP and its risk factors. If you have epilepsy, it is important that you talk with your neurologist. To learn more about SUDEP, visit aan.com guidelines. By utilizing interactive activities, the Youth Summer Camp at LCC gives kids in grades 2 through 12 the chance to explore science, technology, engineering, arts, and mathematics. Scholarship opportunities are available. Details can be found at lcc.edu slash serious fun. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of It's Britney B Podcast, a show where you and I go on a journey and break down subjects that most of us want to talk about, listen to, or want to be a part of. I'm your fun-loving host, Brittany, and today we have a special guest, and after this intro, I will tell you who he is. Now, if you're ready, sit back, relax, and let's chat. Okay, y'all, today we have a special guest here. Uh, he's our first guest to appear on the show. And let me tell you that he's no regular schmegular guy, ladies and gents. Oh, no, this guest I have here is literally one of a kind. He's an actor, a musician, a model, and an executive producer for the upcoming movie, The Port. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you World Pennywell. What's up, everybody? Hi, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Show's great to be here. Pardon my voice. I just got over a sickness, so... You're going to get this sultry voice today. First things first, let's get to know you. Who is World Pennywell? Well, I would describe myself as a, a actor, uh, executive producer, uh, musician, a gangster, and a gentleman. Yeah, a gangster and a gentleman. Okay. Where are you from? I was originally born in um, Clinton Township, a um, small town right outside of Detroit, but I've traveled all over the world. I moved all over the world. So I've lived in a lot of different states, a lot of different countries I visit. Is that why you go by world? Yeah, that's, you know, a little ah. something. I, so I gave myself that nickname. Nice, nice. Well, let's start from the beginning. Tell us about your childhood. Mm. Um, well, I basically was raised up in a single parent household. Um, just my mother and my sister for the most part. And, um, you know, we was like the typical, you know, low poverty, um, Section 8, welfare type family, you know. And um, for the most part, we just, you know, we ain't really have much growing up. So it's not really, really much to really talk about. Um, I spend a good part of my youth in and out of like juvenile homes, detention centers and stuff like that. Um, me, my mother and my sister, we was raised up in like a small household. My aunts, my cousins, all of us was basically always together, always in one household. So, um, like, childhood was real fun for me, even though we didn't really have much money and stuff like that. You know, we we would still have, uh, you know, fun doing what we do as kids. You know, we make up games, do what we do. Um, I really didn't start getting into much trouble until I left outside of home. 
um, inside the house, you know, typical kid. But um, when I went outside, like my neighborhoods and stuff, it was like drug dealing, pimps, you know, that type of environment. So didn't really go outside much when I in my real youth. As my teenage years came around and I started actually getting out and mingling and stuff like that, that's when all the trouble started happening for me. How old were you about that time? Mm, I'd probably say about 15, 15, mm. 16. Yeah, about 15, 16 is when I started actually getting caught, getting in trouble or whatnot. It's normal to me because, like, everybody around me was bad. It wasn't <laughs> like, wasn't no good kids around us. What kind of stuff would you do out in the streets? Any tickle stuff, you know, steal stuff, you know, sneak into the movies, uh, mm-hmm. you know, break into people's houses, cars. <laughs> yep. Um, you know, basically whatever we could do to, you know, get a little extra money or, you know, be able to get, you know, some new tennis shoes or something like that for the most part. Okay. Well, did you have a relationship with your dad? Um, not really. I had a, it was a small point in my life. I think maybe two years when my father was around or whatnot, but for the most part, he was in and out of prison. Um, he went to state penitentiary, then he went to the federal penitentiary. Um, and so he was in and out. So I didn't really see him much. And when he was out, he was a hustler. So he was always in the streets and stuff. So that wasn't, you know, really wasn't really a part of my childhood. It was just really me, moms and my sister. Okay. What about, um, tell me about Juvie. What got you in there? Okay. So, uh, so first, uh, first thing happened was I ended up catching like assault charge, you know, just for fighting, just regular stuff. And they put me on probation. So, you know, when they get you on probation, you got to you gotta follow the rules or they're going to, you know, they're going to tap that butt. So basically that's what happened to me. I ended up getting caught with uh, uh, with drugs, crack cocaine or whatnot. And then I had a sought to do bodily harm, less than murder, like at the same time. So um, I got bonded out for one, bonded out for another one. And then the last one, I never made it back home. I was went to juvie on Christmas Eve. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, kind of <laughs> Merry Christmas. Yeah, it was during the blackout, too, so it was dark. Oh, it was yeah. dark as hell in there, so it was a little Probably bit, cold. Real cold. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. yeah. Well, how do you think that juvie affected you, like, as a teen? Because, you know, growing up, I can't say that I've ever been in juvie. I grew up with a single-parent household. It was me and my mom, my brother, but... I know that juvie would have affected me. How do you, how did it bug you? Like, how did it? Um, bug me. I, so I guess when you say like you're a product of your environment, like, I guess sometimes when you poor, you don't really know you poor. And like, when you really like off the wrong path and you really like real mischief and everyone else around you the same way, you, you kind of don't realize that like, you should be doing something different. It's like a norm. It's just a normal. So it's yeah. like all my friends went to the youth home, you know, went to, you know, Boysville, Maxi Training School, Wolverine, you know. It was it was kind of like a badge of honor for like troublemakers. So it wasn't it wasn't like one of those things where like I was like my life is ruined type thing. It was just like oh, I'm going to juvie for six months or a year or whatever and I'll be back home and, you know. See you soon. See you soon. You know? <laughs> Did music start incorporating in your life around that time? Because usually you hear different rappers talking about, like, you know, I've always listened to music, how, you know, their trouble and their youth kind of inspired where they were coming from. And did music pop in in your teens for inspiration where you wanted to do music? 
Not really so much. I, music for me as a, you know, as a teen or youth was more like recreational. It was more like a hobby thing. Mm-hmm. But when I did get locked up, like in the youth home or juvenile, I did, you know, write a lot of poems and raps during that time. And I did a lot more like freestyle and stuff like that. But I never really pursued music. It wasn't like a, it wasn't like a passion. I didn't really think it was a realistic way of like getting out of the hood. Mm-hmm. You, know? you said you could freestyle. That's really hard. But you were just like off the bat I mean I guess it depends on the talent that's around so like when you're a kid you know you freestyling about food and yeah. candy you <laughs> yeah. know just you know somebody's butt or something like that it ain't you know really lyrical or nothing like that but it's real fun okay mm-hmm. well so you were in in and out of juvie as a teen well let's transition into adulthood what what was that like when you turned 18 how is the world then? He's a man. He's an adult. What was that like? And we don't even have to just be stuck at 18, just when you entered adulthood. Mm. Well, okay. Well, I guess at, at 18, when I was, you know, um, going into adulthood, I was already in trouble. So I was facing two uh, two felony charges in two different states. Before 18? At 18. At 18. Yeah, oh, one cool. at 17 and then one at 18. Coming in adulthood strong. Yeah, it came in <laughs> exactly, exactly how they programmed me to come in, you know? Yeah. But, um, yeah, I was basically facing two different charges, an armed robbery charge and then uh, um, soliciting of drugs in two different states. Basically, similar situation. I got bonded out in one state, went back to another state, and got caught in another state. Oh my God. I guess I wasn't that good of a criminal mm. now that I look back at it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. So you were saying you were hustling as a kid and you were dealing with two felony charges coming into 18. Did you still continue to hustle? Yeah, I mean, my basically my whole life I basically had to hustle in some way, shape, or form. But at this specific time, I had to, you know, get it that way that was the way I knew that was the way that you know people my peers around me were finding ways to close the gap between mm-hmm. you know the have and the have nots so you know drug sales uh robbing pimping those things in my neighborhood was the type of stuff that um you know people did to make money you know to close the gap from you know the poverty gap so I you know at that time that's I did whatever the, my environment allowed me to, whatever the environment gave me. So if I moved to another state and, you know, cocaine or weed, you know, or prostitution was the thing there, then that's whatever I would do, you know, to make money at that time. Okay. When did you go to the penitentiary in your adulthood? Mm, 19. 19? Yeah, 19. Okay. I like how you mentioned on your YouTube channel uh, with stories and music that you said prison was like a criminal college. What do you, what did you mean by that? Criminal college. Um, exactly what it is. It's <laughs> like you're, you're in, you're in a facility, you know, just like Western or Eastern Michigan of U of M and you have dorms and dorms and dorms of convicted felons. Everyone's in there from small time, you know, check, check cash and stuff all the way up to murder. So you're in there with, it's like a you know a university for criminals. Every every yard, all the doors break, and all the criminals come out to the yard. Everybody mingle, you know, and you'd be surprised what you learn in there. You learn how to cook food from scraps. You know, you learn how to make shanks from scraps. You know how to you learn other people's crimes. You know, because they're telling you what they did to get in there. You know, it's like 
bragging rights once again. So they're, you know, you're figuring out what they did right and what they did wrong, you know, mm-hmm. as far as with their crime. So that's why I said it like it's a criminal college. Like all people in there is doing is figuring out ways to become better criminals. Ah, different courses, like you said, how to cook, how to build shanks. That's like culinary arts and whatever auto, auto body type mm-hmm. stuff. Well, obviously, I would imagine you faced challenges being locked up. Did you have anybody there that has inspired you or did you have a mentor? Mm. Well, um, I guess everyone that goes into prison is going to have some some form of mentor. Like you either going to roll with, you know, the Sumi Muslims, the Christians, you know, the, you know, the robbers, the east side, the west side, whatever your state, however your state is made up, made up bloods, crips, whatever. So I would say like the biggest challenge um, was not really the people. I never I moved a lot. So I never it never really bothered me to be in like diverse of different people. What bothered me is like prison politics and like correctional officers. So. There's a lot of, you know, inhumane things that go on there. It's a lot of things that, you know, the officers do um, to the inmates and stuff like that. You know, food, you know, um, so on and so forth. I could go, I could really write a book about that type of stuff. So adjusting to that, like having people tell you what to do, where you can go, what you can't do, locking you in your room, you know. You're a grown man, and there's a man man telling you, yeah. Yeah, so that, that is. And then in there you have, like, different groups so like you got to understand the politics like how things run like who's in charge of what and you know do's and don'ts basically so that was challenging because I was very young so I didn't I didn't really know much and I'm not really um I wasn't really a social person so I ended up coming across a, a gentleman named Flag Bay he was in there, he was like 23, I was 19, but this was his second uh, prison bit. He had did like a one to three and went home and then came right back. But he basically taught me the do's and don'ts of prison, like uh, how to jail, they would call it. So yeah, he's a real good brother, very intellectual and smart and intelligent. I didn't find out to months later that he's doing two natural lives. So I was like hanging with, the, hanging with him for months and months and months, we just kicking it, working out, cooking. And he talking about going home and, you know, like things he going to do and stuff he going to do with his kids and all that stuff. So, like, in my mind, I would have never thought he was doing a long time. And then I was only doing, you know, a short time compared to a lifer. So I didn't, you know, I didn't really know. It, but, like, basically we became good friends. We started out working out, you know, cooking up, you know, kicking knowledge, you know, black empowerment, you know, talking about how, like, you know, men got to take care of their family, how they got to, you know, hold it down and, you know, change the – the cycle and so on and so forth. So he, he didn't really mentor me just for prison. He kind of actually helped me mentor me for life. He sounds like a, yeah. like a big brother role. Exactly what he was. Nice. You know, big brother or big cousin or you yeah. know, big uncle, however you want to put it. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's nice. Tell me about the LB story that you mentioned on your stories and music on YouTube. Well, so my last two and a half years of prison, you know, I, I end up getting lucky. You call this lucky when you ride into a joint because they, they transfer you to different facilities after, you know, so long. So I had came back from Tennessee because, I you know, I had to fight a case. So they transferred me from one state to another to fight a case and then brought me back. So I happened to get lucky and I end up, you know, going to a prison where my uncle was there. I call him my uncle. He's, he was my father's best friend. So when my father was in prison, 
you know, he would come around, you know, buy me shoes and give me money and look out for me, grab me coats for wintertime and stuff like that. So I always called him my uncle. So I ended up at a prison with him, you know, and he basically taught me the ism, you know, pimping. Um, that was his, you know, his profession. That's what he did. That's what he was great at, you know, from our environment. So, um, you know, he taught me the game and just, you know, how not to um, just settle for anything when it comes to um, friends, you know, family or females. Like you got to have boundaries, moral standards, and you got to stick to it. You can't, you know, really be in the fold too much on that. And, um, you know, that helped, that helped me a lot in life too. You know, that, that helped me get my first six figures. You know what I mean? Because it helped you to be disciplined and it helped you to weed out BS. A lot of stuff that um, I, I previously dealt with before I went to prison. You know, I had a whole different mind state between Flag Bay and LB, you know, like the devil and the, and the angel on my yeah. shoulder. It kept me balanced. It gives me that, that edge. I keep my street, but I also became intellectual. And then you put it together and you become just... World Pennywell. Yep. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Mm-hmm. Nice. I do like that. Okay. So transitioning out of prison, you're released from prison. And as you mentioned, LB mentioned about the isms and helping you grow stuff that you can apply outside of prison. What happened after you were released? Well, basically I was released during the recession. So it was, it was like 2009, 2010 era. So, you know, um, my mother, which was my only support system at that time, you know, I have no like friends or, you know, ladies at the time that was able to support me. Everybody was really doing bad. You know, people were losing their house, um, losing their jobs, you know, stock market crashed, everything, you know, had went down. So when I came home, really no choice for me but to kind of get back into the streets I really didn't want to like I really felt I had evolved so like when I was doing it like my little conscience was telling me like man you got too much game for this you got you know that's my uncle saying you got too much game for this like you way too smart to be doing what the average person is doing in your situation like you have to find you know a better way so um I initially started going to college so like it was just like the only thing that I could do really. It wasn't because I wanted to get educated. So it would be I wanted the student loans. Like yeah. I, I needed some money. You yeah, know? So, I feel you on that. So um, I initially started for the student loans, but I was going to be a gynecologist. <laughs> but then I found out you couldn't get licensed for real. You couldn't get licensed as a felon. So it was like well, I'm not going to do this. So then I went to like surgical technology, which is you know the person that passed the instrument to the doctor. Yeah. They ain't gonna let you work in no medical field with no felonies either. So now I'm now I'm back to like you know a little discouraged. Right, like what yeah. a, what the heck? What no am I job, do? no you know schooling don't seem at this point. It don't seem like it's for me. So I go back to the streets. You know that's when I start applying. You know all the hustles I had previously, plus my new knowledge from prison into like the streets, and you know basically doing whatever I had to do to make money. But it didn't really last too long because, like, three months later, I ended up back in jail. And um, lucky by the grace of God, you know, they sent me back home with a tether. And I was on house arrest for, like, 90 days. But during that time in jail, I don't know, it was just like a a rude awakening. Like, you know, like, you way too smart. You way too, like, intelligent. Like, you have to apply yourself in something else because you got a lot more potential than the average person. And I knew that because when I was in prison, like, I was, like, 
a GED tutor. Like that was one of my jobs. And really? yeah, I was like, I'll teach people like their GEDs and stuff because they had tested me, I had a real high IQ. So I had um, graduated at like 17 and stuff like that. So when I went there, that's what I started doing. I started helping people get their GED. So when I came home, I'm like, dang, I really wanted to like continue like educating myself, but the streets was calling me. So I, I had to do what I had to do. And that little set down for that month in the county jail saved my life and uh, changed everything around because I eliminated a lot of hustles that was really just throwing rocks at the penitentiary. And I just honed in on one or two. And um, and that's when I decided that I am going to go to college. So I moved completely out of my my area. It was the hardest thing to do, you know, from like, and I, I moved like hour and a half away and just enrolled in, in Eastern Michigan. And I was just, I was like a personal trainer during the daytime, going to school in the afternoon, hustle at nighttime. So that's what I did like every single day for like two years. And then I started getting degrees. And then once I seen like, oh, okay, I got a few certifications, seven of them. Then I'm like, oh. Seven certifications? I got seven certifications, yeah. Nice. So then I got associate's degree in accounting. So I'm like, dang. And I, I you know, cum laude, passed with honors, you know. That motivated me. That I really showed me. Like, yeah, look at, I'm not, you know, I'm not the ignorant person you thought I was. Like, you know, I'm intelligent. So it it never helped me get a job. It oh. never helped me get a job. But it did a lot for my confidence. It did a lot for my confidence. So I continued. Then I got a bachelor's degree in uh, marketing. And then I got a master's degree in social psychology. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. So that's, that's basically what happened after prison. And then from there, you know, I just, I took my money, you know, and I started putting in the real estate and flipping houses. And, you know, I started uh, doing stuff smarter, like, you know, was able to venture on into as an entrepreneur and, um, open up cleaning services and landscaping sc- services and web design services. So I have a few different little business I try to dilly-dally in, you know. Did a whole 180, and so you applied your hustle into lucrative businesses. Correct. Oh, man, mm-hmm. that's Correct. amazing. What a flip. Yeah, I mean, it's not a flip to me because you got to remember, I was only doing crime to get money. So yeah. once I got knowledge and I found that, okay, they're not going to hire me in corporate America. You know, no one's going to give a two-time felon a, a job, not not one of a master's degree of my staff. I'm, I should be making a, you know, a nice salary. But, you know, I can't get employed from nothing because of that. It never comes off your record. So learning the stuff that I learned in school about financing, marketing, and then, you know, networking with the people that you meet there. You know, you got a lot of brains there. You got women, men, teachers, professors, so on and so forth that, uh, you know, that you can all get game from, you know, I call it game. Like you all can get game and that game I applied to businesses and to life and to help me make the money I was making in the street without taking those chances. Nice. Very yeah. nice. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I am talking with world Pennywell. Uh, this is part one of the interview and thank you for listening. Don't forget to stay tuned for new episodes. And to stay up to date with the latest episodes, go to lccconnect.com. Or to keep in touch with the upcoming episodes and chances to be interviewed on my show, go to my new Facebook page called It's Brittany B. Capiche? Cool. Talk to you later.
拜拜。This is WLNZ Lansing. You're listening to LCC Connect, a weekly program that features the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College. To find out more about LCC Connect programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision.